Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you for joining me on another occasion to share awesome people, awesome minds, innovative ideas, and conversation around this issue of fatherhood. But more importantly, to kind of talk about the issues that surround fatherhood and the connectivity between that and the responsibility of being partners, being parents, being community advocates, being servants, being all things to all kinds of people. But it is this space of fatherhood that we try to stay leaned into because it's very important that when we talk about family, um, that we talk about fatherhood. Because to be honest with you, if you're an organization that's talking about doing family work and you're not working with fathers, then you're not working with family. Let's be honest about who you are and what you do and be very clear that it's okay for you to single out. It's okay for you to work with just moms. It is also okay to work with just children. If that's your calling, that's your purpose, and that you that's what you want to do. But call it what it is, and don't say that you're working with families, because if you're working with families and you're not working with fathers, you're not working with families. Let's just be clear about that. Right. And there's all kinds of spaces, you know, that dads and men are now entering into that traditionally um, we have not been a part of. And my guest today is a brother of mine. We started in this work around the same time. Um, I was actually fortunate enough to be um, his first keynote speaker at his first conference in Philadelphia. Um, and it was just a whim call. I was doing something. He called me. Never missed. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm there, right? I'm, I'm, I'm there. And it's crazy because I went to his conference and I met so many other powerful people and brothers that to this day I'm still close with and <laughs> part of our network. Mr. Joel Austin is the founder and president and chief executive officer of Daddy University Inc. and the executive director of the School of Parent Education a 501c3, and in this role, he serves as a strong, undeniable force in propelling males and responsible parenting to the forefront of the family and community agenda. Fueled by his role as a father of four, which I'm always like mesmerized by, and his boys are getting so big. When I first met them, they were babies. I remember them running around as babies. Mr. Austin is personally and professionally committed to educating and re-educating people about the importance of fatherhood through his leadership at Daddy University, Inc. Um, It has grown to be a recognized authority of fatherhood information support and training. And as a national speaker and skilled facilitator, Mr. Mr. Austin presents to thousands across the nation, infusing his passion through audiences and empowering individuals and groups to positively impact the lives of others. He's a proud graduate of Cheney University in um, Pennsylvania and obtained real life skills as a veteran of the US Army. Him and I share that as well. Joel, how you doing, brother? 
Man, I'm fantastic, man. This is just just <laughs> doing a podcast with a friend is just different. It just feels so comfortable. Let's get let's get to it. <laughs> let's get to it. And so, as I said, him and I go back, and um, it's interesting because there's several of us that kind of started around the same time and was trying to find our footings footing into this work. And there were these giants that were in the field. Yes. Just like them, right? And those giants weren't paying us no attention. They was like, listen, get get out the way. You're in the way. Leave the the grown folks work. And we just, I think that environment is what bonded us because we had decided, you know what? Keep your little corner. We're going to create our own corner and do our own thing. In fact, we're going to do it above and beyond anything that you can imagine. Um, because our thinking about what this work ultimately should be is where you resist going to. And you yes. can see the clear separation right now between those of us who kind of walked into this work around that that time and those who are in this work before us and kind of how we have really, in terms of our voices, you talked about earlier before we got on the podcast, about being bold and progressive about our ideas and who um, and where we should be in this conversation around family. Forget the little piece that is the struggle of talking about fatherhood, but really making sure that we establish ourselves in the space of parenting. Talk to me a little bit, um, Joel, about the story behind founding um, Daddy University. Um, and how that is now helping you advance the passion that you have for dads? Uh, I mean, there's a couple of stories. I would say it started with my first son uh, being born and and my second son, somewhere in between that, Daddy University was started. I remember my first son was born um, and I went to all the visits. You know, I was kind of like you, like I, I was in a different generation uh, outside of my uh, dad's generation, which the dad's generation was, that's women's work. Uh, so my generation was more like, get in there and find out what's going on. Um, so I was at all the doctor's visits. I was at the OBGYN. I was trying to make, you know, do everything I can. Uh, married at the time to my child's mother and my son was born. And then my uh, second, years later, three or four years later, my second son was born. Uh, and at that time, my older son, was invited to a big brother's, big sister's class to help new parents so that the big brothers and big sisters can help their parents with this new newborn. Uh, but while being in that class, I realized my my five and six-year-old was being taught information I was never being taught. Um, I, I always, I want to say that God delivered this message to me uh, but yeah, I was so angry, Kenny. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was so frustrated and angry. And it really pissed me off how invisible I was in this whole process. Mm-hmm. Uh, it upset me that, uh, and at the time I was married, I had to keep saying that because I thought I was better. Uh, in my mind, I was better. I thought I deserved uh, respect. Uh, but I didn't get it. Uh, I was, I felt removed. I felt uh, really not looked at. And that process also said to me when my uh, wife at the time came home with a cesarean, she had a cesarean. Uh, and I remember coming home with a bag 
and I also I had a wife that just had a cesarean and a brand newborn. And I'm standing there thinking, I don't know how to take care of either one of these. But yet you sent me home as the leader and head of household. So that trickled down into finding information that trickled down to trying to uh, build a website that gave out how to do this and how to do that. And then I found out my other friends were uh, unaware and well, they call it a focus group now, but before we just used to get on the phone and be like, how do you do this? How do you do that? And we transferred that information to a website. And now 19 going on 20 years later is just resonated into classes and to conferences. And um, we started our first conference and <laughs> I remember somebody said, you should try to look this guy up. And <clears throat> I looked up this guy, Kenny Braswell website was not like it was now. Um, it was, and then I, and I, I had the ability to chat with, with Kenny Braswell and, and, and this stranger. And I found the connection because you were an individual, uh, because the companies and corporations weren't letting me in and weren't really talking my language, but as an individual, we both connected on this individuality. Like we can do this. We can speak this in our own language, uh, in a language of, I think our language was also experience. Mm -hmm. It was a strong language. I experienced this personally. Let me share this and not the language of, um, this is the policy and procedure. So, uh, and we've been rolling ever since. So I, I love it. And I love this work. Yeah. You know, you made me, you just gave me an idea and I have to think about how to actualize this idea. I still got um, Eugene Snayberg's spirit in my head. We were at, yeah. a, he was at the Potter's house a few weeks ago. And he was like, man, Ken, I just got to say something to you. He's like, I, he says, I know you know it. He says, but I think that people just need to hear this sometimes. He was like, I've never seen a guy who implements as well as you do from idea. He's like, you could tell me that you have this idea to do something. And I'll think, oh, that's a great idea. He says, and the next thing I do, I turn and lift my head up and it's done. Like you move from idea to actualization faster than anybody I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, I don't think about that when I do it. I'm just the, that kind of guy. I don't lay on ideas. If someone yeah. delivers something to me, that's an idea. That's a great idea. Even if I just seed it, I seed it. And if it doesn't move, I just leave it there until it's time mm -hmm. to harvest. So it's not about it's about the 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 the, the uh, men with the talents. It was just like, let me see these because they may not be ready to harvest now, but at some point they're gonna harvest, and I'll use them when they when when they harvest. So that means that nothing, um, everything has value. And so when you was just talking, I was thinking about you know we always talk about writing a book about fatherhood and the field of responsible fatherhood, and talking about fatherhood holistically where it came from all this other stuff that creates and has all these other pieces and I'm thinking man we should just write a book together that tells our story like me you David Patrick um just our story this way we ain't got to worry about talking about anybody else like the, just the kings of comedy just when they go up individually and we 
I got it. Yes. So that's an idea in my head now. Be ready. Let's like figure out how to make this thing happen. So the other thing is what I know is interesting because when I first, um, when I first learned about Joel, he was actually doing these um, daddy bags. And it was at a <laughs> yeah. time, remember that? It was at a yeah. time that you couldn't find like something specific for dads in a department store. And I was like, yo, this is really dope. I was like, These dude, this dude is like doing daddy bags with things in the bag for fathers and they were more masculine looking. They were blues and yeah. other colors yeah. and you were selling them. And I was like, all right, I can really get with this. This is something that is needed because guys don't want to carry around a pink bag, plastic <laughs> pink bag. They want to carry something that's more masculine, a backpack or something like that. When you think about those early beginnings and kind of where you are now, like what are the, some of the things that you have learned about yourself um, and your ability to be able to carry this work for so long. What have you learned about yourself? Um, my success, uh, I have a business degree. Um, and the business degree, all of those years turns out, turns down into, if you see a need, uh, fulfill that need. And I, that's from four years of college. If you see a need, fulfill that need. And a lot of these ideas, like you said, came from my own personal needs. And I think one thing that has fueled me is that I would do it. Uh, so I didn't want to use the, for example, I didn't want to use the diaper bag, the pink one. I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't feel like carrying around those elephants on, on my bag. So I used a sports bag. And um, I had the sports bag, you know, I, I was ready. I had this, I had that, but then the sports bag doesn't have any pockets. So I got diapers and milks touching each other, you know, swishing around. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know, I wish I just had something like this. And and then that's when your entrepreneurial spirit jumps in. So I've also learned to trust myself because I would come up with these crazy ideas. And my key to my success is two things. One try it out and two, surround yourself with people that say that's not so crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've surrounded myself with, with, you know, David Miller's and, and Kenny Braswell's and Patrick. Um, I've surrounded myself with these guys that will say, that's not a bad idea. You give that a go. And I think it's the trust. The trust is our generation of fatherhood was so different. I mean, I've seen fatherhood go from men don't do diapers to men are 100% in charge. I've seen it go from pushing strollers is wrong to pushing strollers is the, is the sugar honey iced tea. Like I've seen it develop into this, I'm, I'm having a child too, and, and I'm taking care of too, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm as good at this as you are. Uh, and that sparked, I think, specifically, we came around at a really good time to say, well, what do they need? And they need uh, information. They needed someone to sit them down. And and that's the, my success comes from every single thing you needed. If you develop it and do it, 
you will find an entire generation that says, I, I need that too. I want that too. Um, I, I remember doing this class and everyone told me, I was doing it in combination with Head Start and they told me it will not work. And the class was how to do your daughter's hair. Um, so I had it, they gave me this small room and they said, you know, we'll give you a little money, see, you know, we'll just do it just to do it. And there was like 110 guys trying to stuff themselves into this class. And, and that's what started making me say, you have to believe in this uh, fraternity, this the original fraternity, the, the longest running fraternity in the world is fatherhood. And you have to believe that there are guys exactly like you that need the exact same thing you need. And every single, like you said, these ideas that come up with come from need. They don't come from some shining star. Um, did you need, when I talk to a dad, for a new dad for the first time, the first thing I say to him is that you got this. You got this. And when I say you got this, I mean, this baby's DNA is half yours. His chromosomes are half yours. Half of the stuff you like, this baby's already going to like. So you are already a C plus. Let's just work on trying to be a B or A, but but calm down. You got this. Because I really need somebody to tell me it's going to be all right. Like, you got this. Mm -hmm. Those are successes come from, number one, believing in this idea that you needed it. And number two, having people around you that say that can support at least the idea. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I admire about you and others, but more specifically, since we're talking about you, is that you and I have had a lot of conversations about sustainability. Um, yes. Having the money to, to, to manifest all these grand ideas that we had that we wanted <laughs> to do. And there's some things that we just kind of stepped out there on faith to do that actually caught traction and became big. Um, and people don't know, you know, that we didn't do these things with a whole bunch of sponsorship, with a whole bunch of people helping you. Every once in a while, we got a few guardian angels that came in that was able to give some resources to do, to do some things. Um, but you would have won first person that at least did this particular thing on a scale that became, I believe, nationally recognized, probably happened in the past in smaller scales and people just didn't elevate those. Um, but you did this daddy daughter dance, man. And I remember <laughs> when you decided that you were going to do that, I was like, yo, that's a dope idea, but is that going to come off? Is that going to jump off? And you did it the first year, you got a nice response, and then this freaking thing just kept growing and growing and growing and growing. What do you remember most about those times doing those daddy-daughter dances? I remember rejection, uh, which is, <laughs> it is odd talking to you because sometimes I, you know, I'm talking in the mirror, you know, a lot of times when I'm doing a podcast, I talk to somebody and they're like, wow, um, that's new information. But talking to you is kind of like, I can see your head shaking. I remember rejection. I remember sponsors saying to me, dads aren't this, dads aren't voters, you know, men aren't this, men aren't that. And I remember um, thinking that it won't go well, um, but then belief, you know, sometimes you fall on faith. And, um, but I also remember that there was this one, my first daddy daughter dance, 
uh, I think 40 people showed up and I thought that was a lot. And I remember this guy flew in from Kansas City um, and and talked to the mom and he just arrived just to just to do this dance and it blew my mind. Um, and at that time, you know, and then looking at these girls' faces, I also remember, just like you, I'm, the trainings. I remember the trainings. I remember trainings on fa fatherhood. I remember uh, people giving me the statistics and the research, and but I don't remember people giving me solutions. Mm. I remember them telling me about, you know, statistical information and I would go home with this, you know, pounds of it, but I don't remember solutions. And I, people kept telling me, you know, we, fathers are the ones who actually instill uh, self-esteem in girls, not moms, but, but dads do. So uh, some of these ideas I kept thinking, then why don't we have something that instills self-esteem? <laughs> um, like it almost... You know, talking to you again, it's like, duh. Like, sometimes our ideas, I would love to say, Kenny, my idea is amazing, but some of them were two plus two. I think that's going to equal four. And the last Daddy Daughter Dance, I think it was, uh, we stopped selling tickets at 650. And you, we had this bravado of <clears throat> guys with their chest out, um, proudness and this this self-esteem within the girls, but then this self-esteem in, in these in these brothers too, like uh, like this pride. And it was, I remember brothers coming up to me saying, I needed this, I needed this. I have a teen daughter, I needed this, and I needed this night. And I know I'm emotional, like every single time it happens, I'm emotional. I remember taking my daughter, um, and people are still surprised at how many guys show up. And I think I'm not surprised anymore because I know how much we love, but we don't seem to love, they don't seem to capture our love mm -hmm. as much as they capture mom's love. I, I, I see dads all the time with strollers. And then I still keep hearing, well, there's not that many in the house. Well, yeah, but maybe they're not in the house because you they're pushing the stroller. Like you don't, <clears throat> wow. I remember, I remember feeling, I was a kind of, I don't know. I remember feeling it must be me uh, because I see them a whole different way in a strength-based uh, and then everybody else sees them in the deficit. And then I met my friends and my friends, you know, Kenny Braswell, David Miller, and uh, some of the guys that came up with were like, no, we see strength too. Mm -hmm. We see it too. You're not, you're not crazy. We see it too. And then, then I became fearless. And once I became fearless, <laughs> that was it. Mm -hmm. You know, the crazy thing too is during that time, there's always been less now, more than always this light tension in our local um, spaces with other cats that were trying to do fatherhood work too. And while we were cordial with each other, there was always this kind of like, I'm the king of the hill. Like, you know, that's just little Joel on the other side of town, you know, doing this. And, you know, and, and then people would create these relationships with people and they would start getting funding from people and they would be claiming to do it, all this stuff. And, you know, and I always used to say, 
you know, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, talk to me in 10 years about the relevancy of what you're doing. So when I look around now and I hear you say, you're approaching 20 years, I'm approaching 20 years, David is approaching if he's not already past 20 years. <laughs> no, it's kind of like, and all those other folks that we had all of this tension with, oh, man. no longer around, no longer doing this, it's kind of like, okay, what, um, I know what it is for me, but how did you stay focused? Like, how did you just say, this is my calling, this is my thing, I really don't care what y'all doing over there. I'm gonna stay focused on doing what I'm doing and God bless you, be great in the area that you're in, but I'm gonna just be great in mine. Like what were the moments that um, helped you stay focused on doing what you wanted to do with Daddy University? I, uh, man, you said these questions would be easy. <laughs> They are easy. The answers no, yeah. are not easy. <laughs> questions are easy. Answers not easy. I, the answers not yeah, the questions are on the screen. <laughs> I, I have I would have to say uh family, friends, and support. Um and then I will also have to say testimonies. Uh you would do something. I mean, Kenny has had we've I we have had as as, as much success as failures of set up events and all this and then those, only the six people showed mm -hmm. uh and one time i left this event and somebody said to me those are the six people that are supposed to be here like don't and then i would just give it my all every time i treated everyone the same and the focus is personal it really is personal and i believe that's one of the reasons why as i kept moving other people kind of fell to the wayside. It, it wasn't that personal to them. It was business. It was, it, you know, kind of fulfilling need, but it wasn't personal. I remember, and I didn't let go of the fact that when I was in that room, you asked me to move to the side, or I remember being shift over. And, and I remember that I was married and I had a college degree and I was felt, and I was made to feel less than. So I cannot imagine Mm -hmm. someone didn't have that what they were going through and I would keep hearing these stories like we were doing service delivery like our father's club was was in person at that time and one of the things that kept me focused was my <laughs> was my anger mm. at the way we had set up this society and this child rearing I, I was angry at the fact that at my age of 40 I was still hearing guys at the age of 19 and 20 going through the exact same situation as me. And I was thinking, so two generations now and nothing has changed. So when, so when some of the big guys came to me, that was like, yeah, I've been killing this game. And I'm like, well, this car still doesn't run. Like the car <laughs> is still <laughs> is in the driveway in pieces and it's still broke, uh, but they weren't doing any type of direct and, I would have to also say that doing some direct service, which is really means talking to somebody that's going through something and helping them realize that it is temporary and that there is some light and there is some joy on the other side and that your son and daughter is going to be this. And then to see 
that power shift in them from de- depressed to 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 possible and, and to hopeful. Mm-hmm. That drug, that drug is is that's some mm-hmm. that is, is is good. So mm-hmm. my focus became I have to leave something. I have to leave this place better than the way I found it. And I think that people also didn't recognize that while you were doing that work, um, while it was up against the local backdrop, that it was also up against the national backdrop. So there was two backdrops that we had to contend with in doing this work because there was this moment where you and I and others began to start moving around the country. Right. And we were yes. going to areas. We were going to California and Texas and we were going into these cities, Miami, that we had never gone. To <laughs> yeah. And people was like, yeah, I heard about y'all. Like, you know, you know, it was we had that light tension as well. And I think that even that doesn't exist as much as it did back then. But it was a little thicker back then because it was a, the circle was so small. But then you started doing these conferences. And one of the things I remember about that first conference is um, I had just kind of started doing this work. And it was one of the rare times that my wife was able to come with me. And she came with me to your conference. And I remember Mm. there were a couple of people that I remember meeting at your conference in addition to you. Um, That conference was where I met David Miller. Mm. My wife and I. Uh, went into his workshop and we was in the back of the room and you know David had has the same fire I mean I think he's he's a more he's a little more confined fiery <laughs> back then he wasn't as confined fiery no, and my wife I'm, and I was sitting in the back of the room and I was like yo this dude is dope like I need to I need to meet him how did you meet David I met David in a coffee shop uh, in Maryland. Um, so me, David, I ended up doing this, uh, I had the idea because I was at that time, like you, I was traveling to different fatherhood conferences. And when I was at all the fatherhood conferences, I was, I was sitting amongst people who were already into fatherhood and already knew research development training and, and, and things like that. But I came back to Philly thinking, uh, we don't have a, I guess what I would say, a dad's conference. We don't have one for the actual guy walking around on the street. Um, so I came up with this idea for to have just a conference for just guys with kids. Um, so at that time, also at these big conferences, there, there were people talking deficit. Uh, dads need this and dads are... Dads don't, you know, statistically dads, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to say it was negative. It was just dads need help. Uh, and then <clears throat> I ended up meeting David because David was on some, not that they don't need help, but you, David, came in with this, yes, they're right, but they don't see who we really are. We are the people that are this. And then with this powerful uh, not to be religious, but almost sermon in this, we joined into this ministry of, we are incredible. Mm-hmm. We are freaking amazing. Like we help people with reading in English. Like we have superpowers. Like we, we can develop. We, 
us in the family stronger. Like this, this, this league, <laughs> this Justice League. And at that conference, I ended up having the first time I ended up having the most powerful people that only talked about the positive, the magic, the power, the the success uh, of fatherhoods in, in our community and how we can shift these narratives. And that was the first time I heard start hearing these words, shift these narratives of no, we're not the guy in the wife beater. We're a dad in a t-shirt. Like that's not who we are. And we're and and we were we're getting rid of deadbeat. Um I'm just don't have a, a job right now. So we started shifting that. And I, I met David and of course David, it was like meeting Malcolm X. Uh, <laughs> you and it was like meeting Martin Luther King. Uh, and then people would look at me and be like, well, you're a mixture of both, but depending on where I was talking at. And I, it started to thrive because uh, meeting some of my friends like Patrick Patterson and growing like that, I gained something that uh, they should never have given me, which was confidence. Mm. Uh, and once I got that, I, it was over. You should never. Over. <laughs> it was never let expose me to these people, no. right? <laughs> right. Um, okay. at that conference okay. is also where I met um Matt Stevens. That's where I met yeah. Um that conference is also where I met Dana. Remember Dana? Yes. Yes. Yep. With a woman that that did the master trainer. Yeah, I met Dana. Um, at that conference, I also met, um, Bilal. Bilal I met Bilal at that conference. Um, and so that was, but you know, for me, you know, that was, that was the Philly connection. Like these are the Philly cats. These are the dudes that's doing it. That's doing the damn thing in Philly. So that was a different vibe. That was a different vibe coming. And then you go over to Baltimore and you got David over there. And then you got, you know, who was considered back there, the king, the real king of the throne, Joe Jones, right, is over there in Baltimore. Oh, yeah. Um, and and Don, Dr. Was Johnson was Yeah, he was moving back yeah. and forth between Baltimore and Washington. You got then you got big Frank Malone, who's in Washington. Yes. And he's like, he's driving conversation. And at the time, and he hadn't moved yet, um, Lamar and Ronnie Tyler were also in Baltimore in the Washington, D.C. area. They're now in Atlanta, but they were over there. First time I saw the two of them was at Hampton University when the feds had that big fatherhood conference at Hampton University. And I believe David was actually presenting right before them, David and Ron Clark. And Ronnie and, and, and Tyler came up afterwards and Lamar came up afterwards and I was like, yo, who are these? Like I kept having these like moments where I would see these brilliant brothers and sisters like come up and stand up in the face of this conversation. And I haven't seen that same wave come behind us, which is a whole nother conversation. But I want to get to where you are now. Fast, fast forward, because you and I could be this a podcast could be two hours if I continue if I continue to walk down the journey that I'm walking down. Um, but we're gonna take a leap because I need to get to this other conversation because it's a conversation that I think people should know, and I need you to kind of walk me through it. Um, Joel has gotten into the space, and I've been watching 
you know, because I, you know, I, I can't say stalk anymore because I don't stalk people. Now I just, I <laughs> come past my stuff. I see it. And so I see what everybody is doing. And if I don't see it, somebody shows it to me. It always comes from one mechanism or the, yo, you see what this dude is doing in Wisconsin? You see what this dude is doing? Like I get him and then I get him 15,000 times. It's like, don't you think that I see this stuff? And I never say, <laughs> never say to anybody, stop sending me stuff because I don't see it because every once in a while something comes through that I haven't seen. So I don't want to yes. stop the faucet of things coming into me. But I started seeing Joel, Joel talk about being a doula. And I was like, all right, wait a minute. Let me go find out what a doula is. And then I said, wait a minute. Fatherhood <laughs> and doulas, I, it's not connecting with me right now. It's like, and then when you said you were actually rec recruiting other dudes to be doulas, <laughs> I was like, wait, I got to get this cat on the phone and he got to explain to me what this is. Cause I know he's not getting involved in anything that is not the right thing, but I need to understand what this is. And now I'm beginning to hear about it more and more and more. So you are on the cutting edge. Like you've always been in terms of looking at things that fathers should be aware of and how men can engage to help be a partner in the lives of their significant others for the well-being of our children. That's what I love mm -hmm. about you. You make those connects. Talk to me about being a doula, what it is, and what is it you're trying to do, and what messages you're trying to push out there. So with Daddy and Mercy, we did the conferences, and we also used to host, we host a, a father's club, you know, educational club every two weeks. Uh, and we're talking about problems and issues and, and how to solve them and things of that nature. Uh, I, I going to other conferences and trainings, and I even got uh, into the maternal health um, world. And when I was in that maternal health world, I started to see how at one point I really, it really came to me, I don't know how to say this right, but fatherhood used to be uh, a, a cause. Um, a cause for me, and then some, at one point it became a the the solution for me. Um, people would talk about maternal health problems, and I saw how we could solve that. And people would talk about anti-violence, and I I see how we could solve that. Like we, I see, I started to see fatherhood not as a uh, equal rights, but more as a if you were to educate them and bring them in, I saw fatherhood as tools you just either don't know how to use or you're not using. You you know you're you're struggling with a butter knife and and we got these drills over here and and you just you just haven't picked it up. Um, so in all of these spaces, I started to see us as useful. Um, and it and it and again it, it upset me so. I did a, I was at a breastfeeding conference, of course, the only male speaker, it, it was like 200 um, professionals there. And I started to understand other things in the maternal health world. So for instance, um, there are times when breastfeeding is hard and complicated and, and the milk does not flow, but they also talked about uh, ways to produce the oxytocin in a in a in a new mom, and if you produce the oxytocin, it can also help milk flow. So they said you should put a new mom in the shower or something to relax her and things like that. 
but also oxytocin is produced from a loved one. When, when you're being rubbed on the back or if you're being stroked by your loved one or, or husband, it produces oxytocin. So I was thinking, why haven't you told married men they, if they just rub her breasts, which they would love to do, <laughs> it could help. Like I started to see, and I don't know, Kenny, like I, even today I started to see why aren't you, why aren't we doing this? Like, why aren't you giving us this information to say, if you stroked your wife's back, milk would flow to your child. Like, would it, like it, it got that bad. So after that conference, I was approached by someone. I had no idea what a doula was. She explained to me that a postpartum, I'm a postpartum doula, certified postpartum doula. There are also birth doulas and there are literally coaches that come in and say, this is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to be. This is what the doctor's going to say. You can have it at home. You can get a midwife. Um, this is how, and then postpartum wise, I work in what's called the fourth trimester. So a lot of times in this world, once you have the baby, everybody else is hands off. So, but we come in a little bit before and say, all right, now that you had the baby, let's talk about how are you going to eat food preparation, trying to get the baby to sleep and all of that. And I saw it because I was already like you working with males who already had like eight, nine, 10 year olds mm -hmm. or more. And I also realized working with them that they have bad relationships, which was some of the reasons why they were with us. So I said, what if I could get in early? Um, because a baby is joyful and it could bring joy to relationship, but it can also kick a hole in any relationships. Mm -hmm. So I, I felt like, what if you can get in early before the baby's born, make each of them Make each, make each of them empowered, let both of them know they can support each other. And I believe that teaching us how, specifically dads, how to nurture and support during that time, you gain, uh, you gain a certain amount of trust. And no matter whether we get married or not, me and you both know that if I've been there for you, if I was there through the rough times and I was able to aid you, and even if we're not married, don't nobody talk about me. Like, you're like, that's my big, you know, that's, that's his, his daddy is the best. Like we, we, we can, we can bond relationships specifically in a black and brown community before they get bad. And then hopefully there is marriage and there's another child. But if you've been there for her and you, you know how to do certain things. So we ended up getting into the space. As soon as I get into this space, I, as I got more into the space. So as a doula, we only work with couples. We work with the new mom and the new dad. And our motto is, uh, we are having a baby too, which is to bring light to the fact that guys are freaking out too, mm -hmm. that they're nervous, too, that they don't, they don't feel comfortable either, and that they are in this fear mode and, and confused mode so that we start to pour resources to say, hey, let me talk to you as well. I know we've been only talking to mom, but let me talk to you too. Cause the number one question for a guy that's having a baby is how can I help? That's all he wants to know. And you've been there and I've been there. Like, how can I help? What can I do? And then sometimes our new moms can't answer that. So as a doula, we come trying to balance out this relationship so that there's, there's more babies, better relationships. And maybe I won't have as many customers coming in <laughs> with, with issues.
Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a career path into this? Is there a certain kind of dad that is best um, to be a doula, or is it just based on interests or personal experience? Like, what is the best dad male candidate to like really walk into this space? I think the best male candidate is someone that um, is non-judgmental. Um, look, can look at themselves. I looked at myself and said, I wish I had this information. Mm. So being a doula, what it really does is most of us are already, number one, the best one is uh, a a male that has had a child already, has been through this experience already uh, and can see it from a male's way. So that is the paternal side. The paternal side, we're almost all, all experts in what it is. To, to have a child and be a man in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, so doula-wise, you learn and you get fully engrossed into the maternal side. So you absolutely become this, this, this translator. Mm-hmm. I, know, I know what nesting, say, when you say the word nesting, nesting for women, it looks like this. But mm-hmm. we bring out an idea that you don't understand that what he's doing is nesting also. Right. Uh, you also bring, now we're bringing a different information, which is one out of four black and brown women suffer from postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. But what they did know is one out of 10 black and brown men suffer from depression. The difference is when a new mom suffers from depression, you have to get her assessed and evaluated. When a new dad, if he's black and, black and brown, suffers from depression, we just call him a deadbeat and take him to child support. Mm-hmm. We don't get assessment. We don't offer services. So, and this is what's happening in our community. So now the object is no. Ask him why now. Ask him how he's feeling when the new baby's born, and and you may be able to assess and still hold on to this relationship. The best men to me are ones that have been through this process, been through maternal, have have you know cared or catered and want and want better for black and brown communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I love the idea. I love the concept. And you're absolutely right. You know, we have to begin to start discovering ways um, to stitch families back together from a policy process programmatic position. I think that for so long for our communities, we've been unraveled. Right. I was saying in my last interview, I used the word when we were talking about the maternal, um, uh, black maternal morbidity and black maternal mortality. Um, I was saying that, you know, particularly for black and brown parents, like the societal culture um, was designed around stripping us apart, men and women stripping us apart um, and that there's a lot of work to do. Um, to programmatically stitch us back together. Um, yes. That what most black women, black and brown women don't understand is that you're being herded just like we are, right? For a particular purpose. And until we find ways back to begin to start thinking about um, how we look at us separately and collectively, right? Because we got to do both of them. We got to see what's relevant to just dads, what's relevant to just moms, and then what's relevant to the both of, um, to the both of us. 
Mm-hmm. And so and we can have all those conversations together. Um, but separately, we got to bring our own experiences, expertise, and history to the conversation yeah. so that the other side can have empathy for what it is you're talking about. And so often, um, and I always said that I went to a uh, meeting in California um, around men as caretakers, which is a whole nother conversation, right? Men as caretakers. And there was a bunch of um, men organizations there and a bunch of women organizations there as well. And one of the women kept saying, you know, I need you guys to be, um, I forgot the word that she kept using, um, partners or something, or something, whatever word she was using, she would, the word, the way that she was using it was, I need y'all just to support us. I need you, she kept saying, we need you as partners. We need you as partners. We need you as partners. And I'm listening to her. And then when I finally got a chance to say something, I said, um, to be honest with you, and you talk about us being bold in our conversation and not really caring yeah. what people think about what we say. And not I really. said, as, as a fatherhood organization, I would probably never be your partner. And that doesn't mean that your cause is not worthy and not relevant. Mm-hmm. I have no interest in being your partner. And I said, here's why I will never be your partner. And it is because the way you see partnership is that I come in and I support your cause, but you don't support mine. Um, Now, what I will do with you is I will become your ally. What allies do is they come, they support your cause with the understanding that you're going to support them. That's what allies do. What you should be asking for is allies, not partners. And she kind of like, she was like, wow, I never realized that that's what I was saying. I was like, but that's because you've never invited men to your meetings before. And you've never had a male in front of you that can articulate what he was hearing to help you understand that what you're asking for, you're not going to get, not because we're not willing to help and be conscious about what you're doing, Mm -hmm. but to your point about maternal health care, if we're not talking about maternal and paternal, we're never going to do the best we can for child outcomes. And so if we're going to talk about postpartum depression in moms, you got to talk about postpartum depression for men because it happens. It just looks different. And the reason that it doesn't, no one recognizes it is because we ain't looking for it, right? It's why I have this crazy um, obsession with this word fatherless. I hate that freaking word. I hate that freaking word because there are no such thing as a father. There is no such thing as a fatherless child. 100% of all biological children born to this realm we call earth have a parent, right? Now, the question is not um, if he exists, it's where he exists. It's, yes. And if you never ask the question, where is he, you make the assumption that he doesn't exist. That is damaging to a child when you begin to lead a child to think that he or she is fatherless, which means without father. What you want to yes. say is that there is a measure level measure of fatherlessness Mm -hmm. that all children can be um, impacted by depending on the amount of fatherhood that is poured into them from their natural father. Now, the father could be incarcerated. 
They can be deceased. They can be living on the other side of town, on the other side of the street. They could be in the household with their children, and those children in the household still suffer from a measure of fatherlessness. Father is there, but the fatherhood component of it is not there. And those kids who are fatherless in those situations are just as impacted by fatherlessness as the individual who's never seen their father. So until we start getting terminology that makes sense to what it is we're talking about and doing it in a way that we are empathetic to both what's going on with both men, women, and then those two things connected with children, we're never going to get as far as we want to get in this space. In, in this space. And I hear the thing is that. I spoke in uh, Houston, Texas at a maternal and child health conference. And I remember talking to you about this saying that I know uh, the Trinity uh, and many of us in America are, are at least aware of the Trinity. Um, but then the, I also am aware of the Trinity of life, which they call man, woman, and child. And that's the Trinity of life. And, and I said, for me to walk into the maternal and child health conference, I'm hoping that next year when I walk in here, it's the maternal and paternal uh, child conference because I don't understand how you keep leaving me out of, as something as universal as the Trinity. And then when you, you disrupt the Trinity, all of these issues revolve around uh, preeclampsia and black women's uh, dying in hospitals and because you've disrupted. You, how in the world do you not see that I balanced her and she balances me. And then when you separated us or don't give me that information or don't give me the ability to help, and she starts to fall, uh, now you want to say, hey, maternal health or black maternal health is a problem. So I'm letting you know uh, I'm not the problem. Uh, you are. You have not given me the ammunition or the knowledge that I need. Um, because I started this, I started off with 168. Um, that's how I started off. There's 168 hours in a week. And, and you have your, o when a new mom has these OBGYN appointments and this appointment and lactation specialists, the best you guys do is maybe 20, 40 hours. Uh, so that leaves her with me for 128 hours. And you've either left me with information on nutrition, information on how to care for her, information on what she needs, or you left me without that. So you're leaving mothers in my arms, sleeping with me for, for 128 hours, and you have not brought me in, which, is, which becomes, and I said this to everyone, which becomes asinine. Mm -hmm. um, you keep hitting your head up against a wall, uh, wanting to be a partner, yet your hospital has no new dad classes, has no classes for both of us has no has no place for me. It don't don't really acknowledge me, and sometimes I'm not even allowed. I wasn't allowed in an OBGYN appointment um, because they wanted mom to have privacy, and I kept thinking, you know, uh, like I said before, like she we've been on private. She had that baby in privacy. Yeah. We, we've had. I, I I can tell you what's down. You know, doc. So <laughs> you're right until you. <laughs> I love what you said about partnership. We can't be partners until I'm in the same room, until there's some inclusivity. 
Like we can't be partners. Um, you can stand beside me and we can both fight for, for our individual rights to solve something, but partnership is hard when you when I'm when I feel invisible in your presence only unless I can help you. Um, but you have to be able to say, you have to be able to advocate for me as well. Um, this woman's married, her husband should be there. Let's not even ask her a question until her husband's there. Like you have to be able to advocate for me as well. Absolutely. Last thing I want to ask you before we close, and that is if someone wanted to be a doula, um, are you working with just doulas in, in, in Philadelphia? Are you working with them nationally? Or are you connected? So if someone called you from Chicago, could you connect them with somebody to become one? Or are you training? doesn't matter where they're coming from. It does not matter where they're coming from. We are Doulas for Dads is now one of our primary initiatives. Uh, mm -hmm. Doulas for Dads, we, from a daddy university point of view, we have Doulas for Dads. We also have our father's club, which is in the middle. And then at the end, we... Oh, I forgot that we started our own fraternity, which is Delta Alpha Delta fraternity. Um, so that there's going to be more males that be able to sit around and have these conversations. So, but Doulas of Dads is going national. We are uh, granted now to be able to train in almost every single area. And you'll be able to find a Doulas for Dad in your area. I mean, and then also let me be clear, Doulas work with new mothers, but us specifically, we work with the partners. We work with mom and dad to make sure that they both know this information. They're both included uh, and they both start off well, start off better than sometimes we did. And I want the best for our, our communities. That's so, dope. yeah, get in touch with us. And yeah, we're, we're hiring. We'll, we'll bring you on. <laughs> okay. So let's give them all your information. How can they get in touch with you? How can they learn more? All of that good stuff. Uh, so Daddy University Inc. is is Facebook. Daddy University Inc. is is Instagram. Uh, also, DaddyUniversity.com. Uh, I'm not hard to get in touch with. Uh, just look up Daddy University. I'm Joel Austin. Same thing. LinkedIn. Um, you can contact me at Austin at DaddyUNIV.com. Our phone number is 610-579-DADS. Um, 3237. Um, you can contact Kenny. He hits me up. I always answer his phone. Um, <laughs> is he, um, but we are uh, for this work. Um, and be clear that when you contact us, you have to be ready to be about this work. Mm, awesome. Man, it is a complete joy um, seeing you, brother, continue this drive and this work and doing your thing and being innovative. Um, in in these spaces and so and that's only expanding and broadening you know the importance of this work and, and and broadening the voices so any way that I can help move your word move your conversation expand your voice um, any of those things you know I'm only a phone call away and so um, let's just make it happen as um, the um, old dude said make it do like Freeman who's a Philly South Philly South Philly dude <laughs> let's, let's make it do what it do that's what he used to always say let's make it do what it do <laughs> so man God bless you bro thank you so much and thank you um I am dad podcast listeners for um hanging with us I'm always appreciative of the time that you spend with us thank you for the numbers the numbers are incredible they continue to elevate each and every week, more and more people are hitting me on DM, asking me about, can you talk to this person, that person? 
um, it's becoming more of a, it's becoming a whole job for me just kind of keeping this thing together and having these conversations. But I learned so much talking to each individual about what they're doing and I'm able to carry their voices forward in the spaces that I'm in and connect them with other great minds and other great people around the country that's doing this work to strengthen what it is we're trying to do. And that is family infrastructure um, through empowering fathers or empowering families one father at a time. That's what we do. And so, Joe, thank you so much, man. I love you to death, and that's my good. Um, you, my man. bishop always say, I love you to death, and there ain't a damn thing you could do about it. <laughs> I, wish it would. I wish somebody would. I wish somebody would talk about my boy. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. I, he didn't do it. He still didn't do it. But he right, 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 right. Absolutely. Right, I don't right. care what you said. That wasn't him. Wasn't yeah, him. It wasn't him. Right. And so until next Sunday, um, God bless you and have a great week. Thank you, good brother. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad Podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time, I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child... I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand that I am dad, period.